adorn the shorn coroner with a cardigan. Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast. There's a good chance that you are a brand new listener because of my guest this week. Um, if you are a brand new listener, go listen to some earlier episodes of this podcast, alright? Check out Quanta Spotify, type in the best of the Blind Boy Podcast and I've put all my favourite episodes there. Welcome to all the new listeners. You're very welcome. For regular listeners, you might be aware my voice sounds slightly different this week. This is because I have triggered a dust allergy. In the most strange way, I have a two-foot puppet of the actor Gabriel Byrne that I was using at the weekend on a Twitch stream. And I'd been storing this Gabriel Byrne puppet in my attic for like a month and basically he'd gotten dusty and his operating this Gabriel Byrne puppet on Twitch for an hour triggered my dust allergy and now I have the sniffles my voice is slightly sniffly don't be worrying for my health it's just a dust allergy so a few weeks back I did a podcast the name of which was Clancy's Pancake and this podcast was about professional wrestling I looked specifically at the phenomenon of kayfabe within professional wrestling, which is a word that's used to describe the cognitive trade-off that an audience member must engage in in order to enjoy professional wrestling. With professional wrestling, the audience knows that it's fake. They know that these characters aren't real. They know that sometimes the match is even predetermined who's going to win. The audience knows this but they deny themselves this knowledge in order to engage in the entertaining spectacle of wrestling. And this unique situation is known as kayfabe and it's unique to wrestling. And the podcast Clancy's Pancake, I used professional wrestling kayfabe to analyse American politics. And this podcast was quite popular. It went viral and it attracted the attention of a WWE professional wrestler by the name of Sami Zayn. Now, I'd never heard of Sami because I don't keep abreast of wrestling. I I haven't watched professional wrestling since I was a a kid. But Sami shared it, and when he did, people on Twitter's heads exploded. What I found was that people who listen to my podcast who enjoy wrestling are huge fans of Sami Zayn because Sami is a wrestler but he's also very outspoken politically and is known as someone who has very articulate and wide-ranging opinions within wrestling. And I found an, an intersection between people who listen to this podcast and people who like Sammy. So loads of people were saying, Sammy and Blind Boy, you have to have a chat. You have to have a chat. So I got talking to Sammy on Twitter and we organised Uh, a chat over Zoom and that's what this week's podcast is it was quite it was quite it it was before I got chatting to Sammy it was very it was funny for me because when I announced that I was going to be interviewing Sammy on this podcast there was there was a lot of annoyed annoyed wrestling nerds there was a lot of annoyed people who were running wrestling blogs or people who'd been running wrestling podcasts who couldn't get an interview with Sammy. Apparently it was it's difficult to get this type of access to someone like Sammy in the WWE. He's one of the biggest wrestlers in the world. He's one of the biggest wrestlers in the world. And we barely even spoke about wrestling. 
what we did do is we had an incredibly enjoyable and engaging conversation about the kayfabe within wrestling, obviously, kayfabe, but we spoke about politics, we spoke about compassion, we spoke about anger, we spoke about Islam. We had a fantastic, a fantastic conversation and I'm really pleased to be sharing it with you this week. Before I continue with it, Sammy is... He's Canadian Syrian and Sammy he's he's involved with a charity um the Syrian American Medical Society SAMS and Sari's and uh, Sammy's involvement is called Sammy for Syria and basically what Sammy's doing is helping the Syrian American Medical Society get mobile clinics and ambulances into areas of Syria that have been very very badly affected by the Syrian civil war Areas whereby they've been so desecrated by war that they don't have access to things like hospitals. So Sami for Syria helps to get ambulances and mobile clinics into reach some of the most uh, disenfranchised and traumatised people in the world. So I just want to give that a little plug before I chat to Sami. He's doing great work in that respect. This is the first interview that... I've conducted on this podcast in over six months because of coronavirus. I haven't I haven't done any live podcasts and up until this point I haven't done any new interviews because I didn't know how. I didn't know how to do it or how it'd be right. So with this interview, because I kind of got the opportunity to interview a person who is very difficult to interview, I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna do it on Zoom. I'm gonna record my side of the interview on on this mic, on this good mic, and I reckon I can get decent enough audio quality too. I'm really happy with the audio quality of this interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with Sami Zayn, the Canadian wrestler who is with WWE and is one of the, the biggest wrestlers in the world. He's one of the most famous wrestlers in the world. Um, If... You don't have to be into wrestling. To like, if you're thinking, fuck it, I don't give a shit about wrestling. I don't want to listen to this. Trust me, you're going to enjoy it. We speak about wrestling, but everything we speak about is through the lens of humanity. We speak about humanity. That's what we speak about. All right? Yart. So, Sammy, um, you're a wrestler with the WWE. Um, I don't know anything like I used to watch wrestling when I was a kid and I used to really really adore it and then I kind of grew out of it and when I announced on Twitter that I was speaking to you I got all so many replies and it took me back to realizing the the, the soap opera element of wrestling the the drama the entertainment part and how many replies were people wanting to know about your personal life or your views and things like that. And one of the things that the reason you're on this podcast is because you heard a podcast that I did about kayfabe. And I was speaking about kayfabe and I was comparing Donald Trump and American politics to being a type of kayfabe. And what I want to, what, what I'd love to ask is what is kayfabe from, from, a, some, from someone whose job is kayfabe? What is kayfabe? Okay, well, so 
Yeah, that, that podcast you did was really interesting. And it's definitely, and I'm glad because, you know, put us in contact and everything. And now uh, here we are speaking today. So cool. uh, I, th- I think it was a great podcast. And I think you made some very astute observations in there. Um, but so kayfabe, so kayfabe is part of what drives pro wrestling, in my opinion, but it's not everything. And so, but it's a big, big part of it. I think kayfabe really refers to the, suspension of disbelief that makes that makes wrestling work mm-hmm. and you touched not obviously in your podcast saying that you know we we know it's not real but that's not the point we want to just enjoy it you know and don't 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 ruin that for us and then you you know you you talked about how that overlaps into what's going on in american politics which to be fair uh i think that element has always been involved in politics because politics has always been kind of spectacle and theater and we all know on some level that they're lying but we all just kind of go along with it you know mm-hmm. um so i think i think kayfabe is about suspension of disbelief um but i don't think that's entirely what makes wrestling work i mean it's actually it's crucial but we, we enter a very interesting time in the world now um where kayfabe is in a, in a way, dead. <laughs> and is this because enti- of social media, Sammy? Well, it's actually, it's prior to social media. Um, you know, the, the podcast you did, and we could do a whole talk about the, about the podcast you did, but you, one of the things that struck me is when you were talking about the podcast, about, you know, kayfabe and all this in your podcast, you were talking pretty specifically about wrestling in the 90s. Yes. And that's important, actually. Because wrestling is older than that, but the 90s are where you see a radical shift uh, in just in so many ways. And one of the things, one of the, I guess, the most remarkable things is I want to say maybe it was 1996. Vince McMahon himself comes out on television and says, look, we think you're tired of this good guy, bad guy kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And, you know, the world isn't simple. It's a little more shades of gray and we're not going to treat you like imbeciles. And we're going to give you a more complex kind of product. So I'm not, I'm not saying that was the death of kayfabe by any means, but, but there's a radical shift in there where we're telling you straight up, this isn't real. This is entertainment. Why do you think, why do you think that Vince McMahon did that? What was the choice was it literally, I think as audiences, you are now more literate and we have to, we can no longer pretend that this is as fake as it is because it might, it might die. Like, yes. are we living in kayfabe 2.0? Like what, what when you yes. heard me saying kayfabe, is it <laughs> like, is an archaic, is an archaic, uh, an archaic term? No, no. And there, you're, you really hit the nail on the head there um, because wrestling if you look at it historically, it's always been a reflective art form in that it reflects the times that it's, that exists in. Mm -hmm. So if you go back to even the forties and the fifties, you know, it's always, uh, especially in the United States, it's, it's, it's always where, you know, where it's from. It's, it's been reflected of the sentiment at the time or the zeitgeist, as you discussed Mm -hmm. the zeitgeist of the time. So, you know, the villains, in the forties and fifties are Germans and they're Japanese. And then, you know, uh, in the seventies and eighties, it's Russians and and Iraqis and Iranians and, and Arab bad guys and all this. So it reflects sort of the sentiment in the country at the time. And I'd even argue 
this is a whole, again, everything we're saying can easily be expanded upon and kind of mm-hmm. become its own podcast. But I'll also say that now may be the time when, especially if you're just looking at WWE, WWE mm-hmm. isn't all of pro wrestling, but it certainly yeah. is the biggest company. So we'll, we'll just talk about it within WWE now. WWE now, I'd say, is the least political it's ever been as far as the actual product. Very little of what you're seeing on television reflects the hysteria <laughs> that I would say has engulfed uh, American culture right now, you know, through politics. And WWE doesn't touch that. But I would argue that WWE not touching that is once again a reflection of the product of the times Whoa. we live in. Oh, because, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Because there's that sense it's too that hot they now. exactly exactly uh, which again is a is a reflect is a reflection but it's like this weird anti reflection reflection where you can't even reflect it. <laughs> but like, um, do you think maybe it's because people now couldn't can't leave their kayfabe at the door? Like, if I think back to Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan for me when I saw him as a kid. Hulk Hogan represented America and American imperialism. Hulk Hogan was the American dream. And then you had someone like the Iron Sheik. Was the Iron Sheik supposed to be like an Arabic character or Iranian or Iraqi? Yeah, Iranian, yes. Yeah, so when you have Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik together in a ring, it's it's literally, it's it's reflecting through theatre war and it's reflecting through theater american imperialism and if today you had one character who is clearly a trump supporter and then another character who represents a liberal maybe the audience wouldn't be able to leave their kayfabe at the door and you might actually end up with actual riots in the crowd uh yeah so it's kind of too hot to touch but part of it is also the um the polarization as well you know, because let's just say um, on a live event, and again, we're talking in a COVID era world now, but yeah. let's rewind Let's rewind six, seven months to when, you know, live events are still going on in small towns and all across America. And I get on the microphone, even on an untelevised event, and I, I, and I say something like, oh, we're in, uh, you know, Biloxi, Mississippi, and I bet there's a lot of you dumb Donald Trump supporters out there, (laughs) you know? And if I say something like that, um, I might not be getting the reaction. You you can't even control that reaction because you don't know. Yeah. um, You don't know the audience, okay? And you don't know how many of them actually do support Donald Trump and how many don't. Uh, and, And a big part of pro wrestling so this is... <laughs> but that to me suggests that kayfabe is broken down. Like, it, it's... The audience, I would imagine, are willing to... They'll throw something at you. They'll get really angry. It's like... I'm, I mean... Yeah. So wrestling used to be like that. I mean, they, they, you did. You, you elicited because because it was under the... the I mean, how, how much shit real. did I not see on TV? What, what Like, surely in, in the history of wrestling, during the Reagan era, when, when things were divided... Surely shit got out of hand. Surely the crowd took things too seriously. And that's just the bit that I didn't get to see on TV. Of course, of course. And that's because, you know, it was a pre-social media world. And, and we can get into all that oh, after. But fuck, you couldn't. You can't hide that now. So if, yeah, if that's shit what gets I'm out saying. of hand now, everyone's got, everyone has a phone. Yeah, ah. yeah, yeah. I mean, 
And a bad guy is a heel. I, You're a heel. Yes, I'm a heel. I'm a heel. Have you uh, always he, been a heel, Sammy? No, no. Actually, I was a career good guy. I was a career babyface for about 15 years. I was like the quintessential good guy. I'd never been a bad guy. And then I, I turned heel in 2017, I believe. And, and what is the uh, nature of your badness? What, like when you go out there into the ring and you understand, okay, my character is to be a bad guy. How, what, how does your badness take form in your performance? What, what do you want to do and who do you want to upset? Well, so I think the character's point of view, mm-hmm. because I, I was delicate about being, doing too radical of a transformation. Because that's also something that you kind of can't buy, right? Like, so mm-hmm. if this guy tells me for five years that he's about one thing, but then one day he turns bad, but he's about not, suddenly he's saying a complete 180. To me, there's a bit of a disconnect there where it's like, oh, this guy's now playing this completely different person, you mm-hmm. know, because it's so far removed from the original identity that we've crafted for you. So uh, in my case, I try to kind of say, well, okay, the character still believes what he believes, which is he's always kind of been about doing the right thing and fighting for what's right and this Mm -hmm. and that. But now he's taken this new outlook on the same viewpoint. And so now his methods are just different and he believes himself to be, uh, you know, he still believes himself to be justified and and, uh, almost like a martyr, you know, about for doing the right thing. And he just, but but all these um, ego so you've become comes Barack into Obama. play. And- you've become Barack Obama. You think you're doing the right thing, but you're still bombing <laughs> weddings. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's one way of looking at it. I'm Barack Obama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How how easy and hard is it, Sammy? To like, I can like I remember. I think was Sid Justice always a dickhead, or did Sid Justice start? No, off he as was a, a good guy. He was a good but guy. He definitely he was a bad flipped. Guy. He yeah. flipped. Yeah, he flipped. And I remember, Jesus, the sense of fucking betrayal. Like I was seven. So the sense of betrayal yeah. that I felt, it put me off any man who has that haircut for the rest of my life. <laughs> now, the, the, I believe the haircut is called the Missouri mudslide. It's uh, a particular style of mullet. <laughs> but like, actually, yeah, I tell you why. Because the, fir- the, the first ever porn that I ever saw when I was about 11, <laughs> it was a dude with a Missouri mudslide. And I, could, I couldn't enjoy my first porn because it reminded me of the treachery of Sid Justice. And it's like, you're not even supposed to be looking at the dude. That's and, amazing. But, but that's the impact that kayfabe, because I'm a kid and, and I'm learning very, very important moral lessons from wrestling. A very yeah. binary good and bad, good and bad. And I wasn't questioning it, but my dad was. My dad was going, this is harmful. There's no in between. This is not how things are. And I'm going, but it's so much fun. And he he used to hate letting me watch it. Yeah. You know, and it's weird because here's this thing that I love. I really do love it. And I've loved it as long, as far back as I can remember. And it's it's funny because now in your older age, you recognize these things that yeah. your your dad, your dad recognized. And and then I have to kind of reconcile that and I have to kind of make that fit and go, well, you know, on the one hand, it does kind of promote these promote, not promote, but again, because it's a reflex, um, excuse me, reflective, it's, it's just a reflection. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not dictating anything. It's not Mm -hmm. saying this is how it should be. It's reflect, it's reflecting and perpetuating what's already going on. 
you know so i i, I don't know I, I feel like how do you feel sammy as like so you're you're syrian canadian and you're right. you're a muslim too yeah yeah i was raised muslim you're yes. raised muslim very muslim yeah um at any point in your career have you felt that you were pushed into a direction to, to make like you were a wrestler at a point where the dominant narrative in America is that Muslims are bad, Muslims are evil, Muslims are terrorists. Did you ever feel pressured or pushed into trying to portray that negative image? No. Um, in, in fact, I'd probably say the opposite. But so this is long before I ever signed with WWE. God, I don't even know where to start here. We could either start when I'm a five-year-old kid or we could start. Yeah, start from the start, man. I, I want to know how you found wrestling and how you got into it. Okay, so uh, I just just to touch on the the upbringing, and and how it relates to wrestling and all that. And your so parents were, actually. I, how did your parents get from Syria to Canada? What was that about? Oh, it's a crazy story. My dad told it to me, and I'm actually a little sketchy on the details. But it was the '70s, and immigration was a lot different then. But mm-hmm. he he came to study, and then just kind of stayed. And then they almost kicked him out, but then they let him in. It was just crazy, the story. It's kind of long, and and my dad's not a good storyteller. It's not linear. It's mm-hmm. There's weird details that he omits, and so it's kind of a crazy story. But all that to say, my parents come here in the late 70s, and as a result, I'm born here, mm-hmm. um, which, again, whole other thing we can discuss there about how much uh, – you know, hard work goes into success and how much is just complete mm-hmm. luck that's out of your out of your hands. Because if I was born in Syria, you know, would we be talking right mm-hmm. now? Would I be a, a pro wrestler? Who knows? So so I become this really interesting little person because on the one hand, I'm my household is Arab Muslim and that's mm-hmm. it. It's it might as well have been in Syria. But then I go out into the world and I'm this really white looking kid with red hair. Yeah, everyone and I thinks you're a fucking Irishman. Everyone thinks I'm Irish. Yeah. This has followed has followed me my whole life. But I I think Irish people look at me and they go, Well, you don't look Irish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they can tell. But but you know, most people they just see red hair and they go, Oh, what are you Irish? Mm-hmm. And oh no, yeah, the I'm, Yanks. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but no, I'm not. I'm not. And so, but 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 that definitely, I think, colored my experience because I'm brought up as this, I'm treated as, as just this white, redheaded kid. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and then I noticed, I noticed the difference if I was out with my parents because my mom uh, you know, wore the hijab and my mm-hmm. dad has a big beard and it's pretty obvious we're Muslim. And so you kind of observe this dynamic from a very young age. Wow. And, and from a very young age, I'm a product of two very different cultures, which I think in a way... Would it be fair uh, again, to say, co- were you discovering white privilege that you would have had? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I always want to say, I don't want to get into all of it, but when people are like, oh, white privilege doesn't exist, I always just want to chime in like, look, man, I am a white, red-headed Arab yeah. Muslim, and I can tell you that... It exists, and I can tell you because I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand mm-hmm. when I'm alone and how I'm treated when I talk because I don't have an uh, an immigrant accent versus mm-hmm. when my pa- you know with with my parents mm-hmm. or you know when I'm crossing the border, mm-hmm. uh, you know because my name is is not the most Arab sounding name. But mm-hmm. if my name was like 
uh, you know, Abdul Rahman, mm-hmm. Abdul Karim, or whatever. I might might have had a lot more issues traveling the way I did uh, between two thousand and four yeah. and two thousand and. A question I'd love to ask Sammy, right? Because like the, the American border is a scary fucking thing. Even even for Irish people, it's scary. I don't know what it's like for Canadians, but like, like at what point when you go to the U.S. border and the the guy is or or the woman is staring at you, is there a point where they're like, "Ah, oh, it's a white Canadian dude. It's okay," and then they find out something about you in the moment that suggests that you're Muslim, and then shit flips. So it's never happened to me. It's never happened to me. Uh, I know other people that have kind of had that experience. uh, But for me, it's never happened because, again, my name doesn't really sound Arabic and I don't look Arabic. Mm -hmm. And so I really never had any sort of problems. Uh, And it's funny, and I don't know if this can get me into any kind of trouble now all these years later, but, you know, for the first several years, and this is another thing we can get into Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's just so much. But um, when we talk about illegal immigration, which is another hot button issue Mm -hmm. in the United States, but, you know, uh, I don't think anybody would think this is immoral or evil for me to tell that, you know, for the first several years of me making my name in the States, so I started traveling into the U.S. in 2004. And I only first got my first work visa, and I want to say 2007. Mm-hmm. So those first three years, three years, I was technically crossing the border illegally. You know, I was, yeah. I was lying. I was saying, oh, I'm coming here to train for wrestling or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, and because you I... you get to start, you're not earning a lot of money, and, and work visas I'm not are earning expensive. A lot of money. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm making I'm making $100 a match. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, nobody, nobody would even think to say this person is crossing the border illegally and, Mm -hmm. and they're, they're, you know, nobody's thinking to say that. And I think that's because I'm one, uh, you know, white Canadian or, you know, really an Mm -hmm. Arab, but viewed as a white Canadian. And also because it's viewed through the lens that, well, this is just a kid following his dreams to make it in the world. America's frontierism. You are following the American frontierist dream. Right. But, but, but it's very different when it's me versus when it's a, uh, let's say, you know, a Mexican mm-hmm. laborer who wants to, you know, just he's willing to, to, to pick crops for pennies on the dollar. These people are vilified. So you're, you're the good immigrant. I'm not. You're the good immigrant. I'm the, I'm the good immigrant. Yeah. And, and I think part of it is whiteness, if mm-hmm. I'm being frank. But the other part of it is that we don't value labor. We don't value uh, that type of labor. We don't value crop workers, but we do value art and we value Mm -hmm. pro wrestling. And we we love that narrative of a kid following his dreams to make it big in in wrestling or Mm -hmm. in Hollywood and nothing but a dream. You know what I mean? There's this whole narrative around it that surrounds it that for some reason just doesn't get afforded to... Central American or Mexican laborers who are doing the exact same mm-hmm. thing, coming here, just trying to make, you know, trying to live the American dream and trying to make enough money to, to provide a decent life for their family. So I've always noticed, again, the, the difference in the framing of my story of coming to America versus how, how, how the story is framed for these other people who are far less fortunate. Mm-hmm. And also as well, you, you've done... Can you speak about the charity work that you've done in Syria and, and, and whether as well, if, if that shit, like 
got you in trouble or raises eyebrows in the US? No, uh, not at all. I'd love to talk about it. And thank you for bringing it up because it puts some eyes on it, uh, you know, to, to your audience who mm-hmm. might not know me. And uh, essentially, um, I'll tell you how it started. And it was from just calling myself out on my own hypocrisy, which mm-hmm. I think became a big thing to me a few years ago is really realizing like how much of my value system am I living by, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, you know, for years and years, the war in Syria, I just think it's this awful thing. Everybody could agree on that. But mm-hmm. then, you know, at a certain point I had to say, well, what are you really doing about it? Mm-hmm. Nothing. You know, you're just like everyone else. You talk, you talk about how terrible it is and how or whatever, but you don't do anything about it. And so I said, I got to do something about it. And so, uh, I got in touch with this organization called SAMS, which is the Syrian American Medical Society. And the reason I was drawn to them in particular is because they were doing work on the front lines, on the ground in Syria, mm-hmm. like in the war zone, you know, in the, in the thick of it. And to make a long story short, we had, uh, we basically launched a campaign, a fundraising campaign to, to raise money to be able to launch a mobile clinic which is delivering healthcare to, uh, you know, to internally displaced people, to mm-hmm. people whose homes had been blown up or are now living in camps and things like that. So, you know, they had no access to healthcare. So this mobile clinic basically drives out to them and delivers healthcare to them. And so that's still going on. It started in 2017. We had it running for about a year uh, and it provided something like 11,000 medical services which I'm very proud of. And then now we're, we're doing it again. We just, it just got up and running a, a few months ago. And did, did you uh, visit, did you visit Syria at this, at this point to, to see what things were like? No, no, I haven't visited since 1998, I think. Cause it's to be honest, like Syria isn't really somewhere you just visit, is it? Uh, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know now. Certainly, certainly getting to these Okay. Camps would, would be very, very uh, difficult and dangerous. Y- yeah. Um, one question I got that I wanted to ask is, is how do you feel about, um, so wrestling is, is actually incredibly camp, but it's the fan base see it as this in, it, very macho and heterosexual thing. But wrestling itself, I mean, it's men dancing around in their underpants, hugging each other, you know? Um, how, how, do, how, do, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about hyper-masculinity within wrestling, is there room for, uh, I don't know, a kind of a shift? Uh, yeah, so let's, let's, okay, so I, I don't think it's just hyper-masculinity. I think it's, um, there, there's definitely an aspect of sexual sexualization because mm-hmm. you see it in women as well, mm-hmm. especially it's a much easier to identify in women. Right. Mm-hmm. But there has been a real shift in recent years of looking at the women wrestlers as competitors and, and not just eye candy like they were, you yeah. know, maybe 10 years ago. And similarly, uh, even, even the way, that the male physique looks in pro wrestling these i mean look it, when i started wrestling in 2002 i was told from day one you're way too small mm-hmm. you know way too small you're never because what wrestlers looked like in 2002 were just they were massively jacked up massive yeah and i i don't you see know? like the, the wrestlers that i adored when i was a kid like they were on a lot of steroids 
Yes. And that's why and so that many the, of them, again, are, a lot of them are dead. Right. And once again, a reflection of the, of the world we live in. In the 80s, you see steroids are everywhere. Yeah. Steroids are, are, are candy. I mean, you look at you look at the action stars, you know, prior to Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. and then after Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. two very different things. So the world, uh, you could see what's going on in the world reflected yeah. in pro wrestling. In and the once 70s, again, all a man you, needed to have was a hairy chest and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so, so once again, I, I think you see that reflection. And now you look at the wrestlers now, and they're athletic and, and all that, but you're not seeing guys jacked to the gills, you know, with their veins busting out of their necks as much. That's, that's the minority more than it is the majority for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there has been a shift in that. But just to touch on um, something you said there when you, at the beginning of your question, when you were saying in, in, in a way wrestling is very simplistic, I think it's actually very complex mm-hmm. and not to sit here and, and defend this, this thing that I, you know, that I like, mm-hmm. but it, but it really is profound because, but it is, so it's simplistic, but I don't think it's simplistic in the way that people who insult wrestling yeah. view it as simplistic where they say, Oh, it's just two guys and they're just dancing around their underwear. Yeah. That's a, sort of a way to, to, to dismiss, to dismiss some it's of the reductive. complexity behind it. Yeah. It's very reductive. It's very reductive. And now if I was going to be reductive about wrestling, what I would say is that wrestling in essence is the art of manipulation, Mm -hmm. right? And so in order to manipulate, one has to have um, an understanding of some very complex concepts like psychology and sexuality Mm -hmm. and, and sociology, you know, and, and you manipulate these things you manipulate the human condition to elicit the reactions you want. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it through a capitalistic lens to get their money, <laughs> you yeah. know, that's what drives the business. Uh, and so that's why I, in some ways I think wrestling is a very easy way to explain how the world works to a lot of people because it's something that's pretty easy to understand. You know, some of these concepts can be very complex and, and especially when you get into the academic level and you get into academic language that can be very exclusionary, mm-hmm. then, it, then, then, you know, you have these theories that you can't necessarily articulate to everybody. And this is, again, one of the things that I think you do brilliantly is, is you bring these very interesting and complex ideas and you deliver them in a way that's very accessible to people. And so I argue that since wrestling is sort of my discipline, mm-hmm. that I can use wrestling in some ways as a mirror for how the world works, mm-hmm. much like the way you used to describe how politics work, mm-hmm. you know, like especially when people talk about Democrats and Republicans, uh, let's say in the states, I I always refer it back to wrestling, and I go, look, man, when we go on these European tours, the good guys are on the good guy bus, and the bad guys are on the bad guy bus, wow. right? But then we both <laughs> are you serious, man? Yeah, yeah. But what, like, are, are, so are, are you discouraged from being friends with someone who your character is is at odds with? No, it's just one of the last bastions of kayfabe wow. that's still alive. But like it's in private, weird, you're having drinks. You're having drinks with the people you're you're fighting with. I'm guessing. And there you go. And there's and there's again, if you get back into the reflection of how the world works and politics and all that. Here's the good guys. Here's here's the Democrats on one bus. Here's the Republicans on the other uh, bus. Here's yeah. Here's A. Here's B. But yeah. you know what? They both go, we both go to the same arena. Yeah. We both change in the same locker room. 
We both do the same job. And at yeah. the end of the day, it's the same name that's on our paychecks. And I'm guessing too, actual conflict would fuck up your job. To, to, if for you to step into a ring with someone you have a real actual issue with, I'm guessing would get in the way of your professionalism in the same way as it would as with a politician because then emotion comes into it. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. I never even thought of that, but you're absolutely right. And so uh, you're right. It, it, it behooves you to keep good relations with these people. Mm-hmm. So even though there's the spectacle of going out there on camera and saying this person and I can't believe his behavior, it's very much within the storyline uh, of what you're seeing on television. Mm-hmm. It's never personal. You know, because then, like you said, they probably all just go out and have drinks after mm-hmm. the show, you know. Um, so, again, it's just it's just a way to reflect the world to people in a way that maybe makes it under easier to understand. Yeah. How do you feel about kayfabe in, in the age of social media? Like, like mm. is, is a wrestler expected to continue? Like, uh, like, have wrestlers had any Twitter feuds? And this is part of the script. So there's, I, I, I can really talk about this one. I love this subject. Um, so there, it's very, very interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, Twitter, there is a disconnect between, so if you look at just my Twitter, for mm-hmm. example, I won't say everybody's Twitter, but, but I'll just use myself as an example. I do tweet about a lot of stuff that is not congruent with my character mm-hmm. at all. It's just me. It's just me. Now, I, again, social media is a tool and it's all in how you use it. If you want to use it as strictly a tool to further your storyline and your character, mm-hmm. that's fine. But that's not how I choose to use it. I choose to, I, I see it as a platform and that I can, you know, spread ideas on this platform so I should make it count. Mm-hmm. Or I can raise money for charity, uh, you know, for this mm-hmm. whole, the whole thing we did with Sammy for Syria was all through social media. It was mm-hmm. all through Twitter and a little bit of Instagram there at the end, but it's all through social media. So it's all in how you use it. But um, so what I'll do sometimes is if I am doing a character tweet, mm-hmm. I think sometimes it confuses people yeah. because they don't know if it's the character or, or the person. Mm-hmm. Or, or I was thinking, what, what if you're f- like in a feud with a wrestler and then you accidentally like a picture of his dogs on Instagram? Oh, I mean, it'll, it'll go far beyond that. And it's not accidental. You know, people just don't care. So you yeah. can be in a, a program with somebody, a program being a, you know, a rivalry mm-hmm. with somebody on television, but then still have a friendly back and forth with them on Twitter. Holy fuck. But then, yeah. But then we'll wow. also sometimes, but then we'll also sometimes on the show use Twitter as a vehicle to start a program between two wrestlers. So we'll, we'll manufacture a Twitter beef between two wrestlers and wow. then we'll go on television and go, Oh, look at these two fellas. They got at it on Twitter and now they're going to have a match. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it's sort of, it's very fluid. It's extremely yeah. fluid, but it, but it brings about a couple of things that I, I am very fascinated in. And one of the things that I find so interesting about the professional wrestler as an artist or as a performer, and the only one that I could kind of compare it to is maybe stand up comics mm-hmm. where, because because we tell you straight up, it's an act, yes. okay? This is not me. This is not me. This is an act. Mm-hmm. But they still think it's you. Yes. They still think that if you said it, you believe it. Mm-hmm. 
And the only other people I can compare that to is stand-up comics. Is all you know, it's an act. Yeah, and they're say these talking jokes, about their life. They're talking about their lives. They're talking about their wives, their kids. But when I look at a stand-up comic, I have the the kayfab is I know that some of what you're saying is probably lies because your job is to give me the most funniest and entertaining version of what actually happened. And I'm okay right. with that. And I don't want to think I mean, about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Dave Chappelle is incredible. And, you know, he'll talk about his wife and kids sometimes, but then he'll also make a joke just a minute later about like, you know, eating pussy or something crazy, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, or like getting, you know, try, trying to have a threesome with his friends. But then Actually, minutes later, we'll... We'll, we'll joke about, you know, a story about his wife and family and it being a very healthy. So it's very Rappers fluid. Too, it's man. very fluid. Snoop Dogg has been, yeah. has been married to his wife since he was 17 years of age. And all he talks about is fucking other women while having a very healthy, <laughs> loving relationship with his wife on Instagram. <laughs> right, right, right. So and you see it with musicians, too, uh, and rap music in particular, mm-hmm. because they're selling an, an image, especially so. You know, uh, not everybody's living that image. Well, that's about, I mean, I uh, talk yeah. about mental health with a plastic bag on my head, you know? Yeah, well, you know, I wanted to talk about the plastic bag for a minute. Let's just pause things there briefly so we can have uh, time for the ocarina pause. We can insert a digital advert, all right? Um, if you're a new listener, there's digital adverts in this podcast in the midpoint. So I like to just give a little warning so you don't get a shock. So here is, I'm going to shake a little... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Popcorn seeds. And you may or may not hear an advert. This podcast is supported by you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. If you're listening to this podcast and you're enjoying it, just understand that a lot of work goes into making this. I make it by myself. This is my sole source of income now that I can't do can't do live gigs because of coronavirus. So just consider paying me for the work that I'm doing if you're consuming it and you're enjoying it. And all I'm looking for is the equivalent of a cup of coffee or a pint once a month. That's it. Okay. If you can afford that, please consider doing it. All right. Because that's how I earn a living. If you can't afford that, don't worry about it. Someone else is going to pay for you. And it's a model based on soundness. If you are paying me for this, you're paying for someone else who can't afford it. I plug it every week because people come and go. So I got to plug it every week. So just consider paying me for the work I'm doing. It also allows me to have full editorial control over the podcast. No advertiser tells me what to talk about. If they try, they can go fuck themselves. All right. So like the podcast, share the podcast with a friend, 
leave a review. That's very important as well. Leave a review and rate the podcast. Join me on my Twitch stream. I stream on Twitch about three times a week. All right. You can have direct access, having chats with me or watching me making music. Twitch.tv forward slash the blind by podcast. And the Patreon page is patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. Let's get back to Sami Zayn asking me about why I wear a plastic bag. Yeah, well, you know, I wanted to talk about the plastic bag for a minute. Uh, let's circle back around mm-hmm. to that, but please remind me because I wanted to discuss You used to, to wear a mask. About- you used to be called El Generico right. and you had a mask on. Yeah, so I really wanted to ask you about the mask because one thing, so I, here's another thing. And I'm sorry if I'm rambling or I'm all over the page or just a lot. My mind's starting to get excited now, so I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> but so one of the things that I observed when I, when I had a mask, mm-hmm. and before, before I want to say this, I didn't know, I knew very little about you mm-hmm. before I heard your podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I heard you once on Russell Brand's podcast. Yeah. And I said, oh man, you said, you said something in there like, oh, uh, you know, uh, advertising doesn't sell you a product. It sells you an idealized version of yourself. Yeah. And I, right away, I was like, oh man, I like this guy. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> but then I didn't, I didn't, you know, hear about you for years. And then your podcast uh, about pro wrestling that you did a few weeks mm-hmm. ago popped up. And, and I listened to your podcast. And when I listened to your podcast, then I discovered the rubber bandits. Yeah. And then I re- discovered horse outside. Yeah. And then I discovered that you had this BBC show yeah. and that you wrote a book and that you're really successful in all these different avenues. And I didn't know any of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you wear a plastic bag on your head. So it hides your identity. Yeah. So one, one question for you and forgive me if you've ever addressed this on a past podcast, but I'm curious about your take on it is have you ever noticed a difference between you without the mask and you're just you, you're just some mm-hmm. guy that no idea who you are. And then all of a sudden when you say, Oh, actually I'm, I'm blind boy. And then the transformation in how they treat you. Oh fuck. Yeah. Right. Like, isn't that just the most oh, remarkable stop. thing? That, but but Sam, that, Sammy, that's why I have a fucking bag on man. I know. And that's why I love the bag. And I wish I had the bag. I loved wearing a mask. And because I want, I do want my work to mm-hmm. be famous, but I don't want to be famous. Exactly. And, if and that makes sense. So to answer your question, Sammy, like what that does for my mental health is fantastic. Okay. So, so one thing I say to people, because some people say to me, just take off the bag. You don't need it anymore. And what I say is like in Ireland, I'm pretty well known in Ireland, but once I don't have this bag on, No one fucking knows who I am. Nobody knows who I am. And one thing that I know what I... So what I say to people is, if I'm at a festival or something, if I'm at a festival and I'm backstage and there's like 200 Mm -hmm. people in a room, so I can walk into that room with the bag on as blind boy and I'm the center of attention. And when I meet a person, I don't have to put any work in. This person knows who blind boy is. They're exceptionally nice to me. Okay, then Mm -hmm. I take the bag off and I go back into that same fucking room with no bag on and I'm just a regular dude. And what happens is when I meet people, they are now speaking to just a stranger and I have to Mm -hmm. put in. And and, and what's nice about it is when I when I don't have a bag on and I'm speaking to another person, I now have to gain their trust by using empathy, by being kind. I have to show that person I am someone who's worth talking to. And that human interaction is very genuine and it's very compassionate. When I've got this fucking bag on, 
I don't need to do any of that. I walk into the room. Everyone knows who I am. Everyone is nice to me for no fucking reason. If that was my life, I think I would have great difficulty maintaining a healthy sense of self-esteem. I'd have great difficulty Mm -hmm. being humble because Mm -hmm. my capacity, everyone who knows me is like, there's fucking blind boy. And I don't have to put the work in. I don't have to put the effort in. And that would be frightening to me. I mean, there's a, a lovely story from Bob Dylan where Bob Dylan said, because Bob Dylan, like he's, he's fucking crazy famous. That's as famous as you get. And Bob Dylan said the biggest heartbreak for him was that he's at the level of fame where he can't even be normal around famous people. So mm-hmm. if Bob Dylan goes to the famous person restaurant and Tom Cruise is there and Robert De Niro is there, everyone eats differently because mm-hmm. Robert De Niro is like, there's fucking Bob Dylan, you know? Mm-hmm. And that for him is yeah. the heartbreak. And it, a Prince was similar to it too. And taking it back to Russell Brand, like I know a story about like, so some people, so, so, so fame does not suit my personality. I, like you said there, I want to work. I want to create art. I want to perform. And that's what I love doing. But I don't want the fame shit. It doesn't suit who I am. But there are other people, and I'm sure you've met them in the industry, and fame actually suits their personality. They need it, and they're healthy within it. And Russell Brand... I would argue that last point about the healthy... Sorry to cut you off, but I would argue that that, um, even if you do well with it or it suits you, I don't think that if it drives you, I don't think that's healthy. But we can get into that after, and I'm sorry to cut you off. Carry on with your story about Russell Brand there. Russell... There was a point before Russell became known in America. Russell was incredibly famous kind of just in the UK and Ireland, like really famous. Everybody knew him. And mm-hmm. Russell likes fame. He, 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 he does enjoy it. He enjoys the notoriety. That's it's it's he would say it's kind of part of the, the thing that he has to fight. But he does have a desire and a like to be noticed and to be the center of attention. So when Russell was mad famous in Britain, he went to California and he couldn't fucking handle that nobody knew who he was. He couldn't handle the anxiety of... That's interesting. So he had to go to Malibu where all the English people live. And he just stood there on the corner of Malibu and then people knew who he was and he needed it. Which is yeah, so, nuts. So that doesn't sound healthy. No, <laughs> right? no. But, but I mean, you know, Russell has struggled yeah. his entire life with addiction and mental health yeah. issues and this is his shtick, you know. Um, uh, I, do, yeah. I do this to... I'd be a lot more successful, Sammy. If I didn't have this fucking bag, I'd have a lot more opportunities. Um, I would be doing better in my career, but I don't think I'd have mental health. I don't think I'd be able to trust who is my real friend. I, I like meeting someone as a fucking stranger, man, and I like putting in the effort and human compassion, and I like earning that person's respect for me to be okay to, to speak with them. And when someone well, finds I'll out... Well, I'll tell you what I, what, what, what I think it does... And stop me if I'm wrong, but what I think that's what, what it's amazing about it, the bag, is that it allows you, it forces you to compartmentalize your identity yeah. as a performer with your identity as who you are at home with your family and yeah. your friends, because they are two different people. Yeah, you are. They are. They oh, really absolutely, are. absolutely. You know, they they are the bag. The bag is the. It's so visually different. Mm-hmm. That it's, you're simply not the same person. So it forces you to do something that most people struggle with greatly when they're entertainers mm-hmm. and their identity and their self-worth gets latched onto that. There you go. That their value is contingent on the art that they create. Mm-hmm. 
what ends up happening is the line between you and the performer is completely blurred. Um, especially, like I said, when, when, when we're pro wrestlers where there's that, you don't even know where the character begins yeah. and the, per, the person begins. Um, but, but Sammy, but Sammy what's other... it like for you then being somewhere like New York where you go into any shop and somebody knows who the fuck you are and then being on tour and maybe going to a country where you're not as known, what are those two experiences like for you? Well, so this is the thing that I also love is we have a very niche audience in a way. I'm not John Cena. So John Cena walks around, you look at him, you know that's John Cena mm-hmm. or The Rock or whatever. I mean, um, WWE as a brand is very famous. Everyone's heard of it. But like, you know, even in your case, uh, you know about WWE, but you, you're kind of tuned out and you don't know who all the characters mm-hmm, are. Mm-hmm. I could walk right by you and you wouldn't know who yeah, I am. I know, I know, uh, I know until, The Rock. You know, until today. I don't even know if The Rock is even <laughs> still in fucking wrestling. I don't know. No, he's, he's not. He's not. But, but, you know, there's certain people who at the four mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who are really placed at the helm of the company who will be recognized far more. I'll get recognized, especially in New York City, mm-hmm. but it's not, I can walk down the streets in New York City. I have this super convenient level of fame where um, I am left alone mm-hmm. 99.9% of the time. And then once in a while, I'll recognize someone and it makes their day. Okay. And yeah. and that is the perfect level to me where I can be nice to someone and go. I can I can have somebody go... Just met Sammy Zane. Oh, yeah. I got a picture with him, and it helps brighten up their day a little bit. And that feels good but, to you. Well, that feels good for you, yeah. then, because that's an act of compassion. But how, yes, how do you? Yes. One thing that always frightens me too is, it's like sometimes I do get recognized, and my voice will give me away, and it happens so rarely that I can actually have a connection and a conversation with that person and right. introduce them a little bit to who I am behind my bag, and it's lovely, and there's it's not excessive. But my big yeah. fear would be if I got heavily recognized and then I six people ask me for selfies. And then by the yes, time I've yes, done yes. six, I'm a human being. I have limits. And, and, and then when seven comes along, I'm saying no. And to number seven, I'm a fucking dickhead. Right. You know what I mean? Of course. Yes. Uh, that, that always, uh, I remember that when you were saying that, it reminded me of a story. One time I was in Hawaii with, um, a wrestler who's one of our top wrestlers named Daniel Bryan, mm-hmm. but I've known him forever from the independence. We've come up together and we were in Hawaii and, you know, he's a very, very nice person. He's a very nice person. So if somebody asks him for a picture, he's happy mm-hmm. to oblige you. But then exactly the scenario you just described came up where, cause he's also married to one of the Bellas mm-hmm. who are on total divas or total Bellas. So they have crossover appeal with a whole other audience that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with wrestling. Just like women who watch the E network mm-hmm. will recognize him, you know? Um, so he started getting recognized and then one picture turned into five or six. Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh man, I got, I got to get out of here mm-hmm. because he's not built. He's not built for that either. Um, but oh, goodness, just going, going back to the thing, two, two, two things I wanted to ask or discuss one, do you ever resent the difference in the treatment to blind boy versus you as a person? Like, um, is somebody kind of like rude to you? Has it happened to yeah. you? Not rude, but but they don't give a shit about you because you're just some guy and they don't give a shit. I, but then, I have oh, had actually, situations. I'm blind boy and, and, yes, man. And you see that transformation I and it's like that. you shallow, you shallow piece of shit. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> you know? I, I, I haven't had that a lot, but I have had situations, man, where I'm not wearing my bag. I'm just socializing 
and I'm entered into a new group of people and I'm speaking to someone and this person is just being rude, just being rude for because this is how they are. And then having been rude or not engaging me for the entire night, someone whispers into their ear and says, do you know who that is? And all of a sudden they're the nicest person. And that breaks yeah. my heart. And I have to, I, 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 that breaks my heart, man, to see what I yeah. have to tell myself is I've just met a shallow person and that person you, exists you know, and that's okay. And it's not all humans. Yeah. I, the, the thing that upsets me is I think I, whether I want to acknowledge it or not, I think that exists within me, within all of us to a certain extent yeah. too. Yeah. You know, but, but, but when you observe it, you're like, huh, that's not right. Mm-mm. When you're, when you're at the center of it, mm-hmm. you're like, oh man, something seems really wrong about that. So you've had that situation. <laughs> Have you had situations where you're just uh, having a chat with someone and then someone says, this guy's really big in WWE and all of a sudden the, the person changes? Uh, yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, I, I think about this back. My friends would do it a lot. And this is even before WWE, mm-hmm. just because wrestler is such a strange occupation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, back when I was single many moons ago and, you know, going to bars and chatting up yeah. women or whatever, this is just so long ago now, it feels like a different lifetime. But there, there, there was always like, it's almost like this ace up your sleeve or it's a superpower yeah. you have where it's like, Oh, cause it's one of the first questions that comes up. So like, Oh, what do you do? Well, actually I'm a pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it becomes like, it just really makes you question, uh, the idea of like social currency yeah. a little bit, you know? And, and this is one of the things I want to circle way back around to here when you're talking about wrestlers on Twitter and the age of social media and all this. Um, one of the things that social media has done to wrestle, not, let's actually take wrestlers out of it, to people, mm-hmm. I mean, just everyday people, is, is it's been, ooh, let me see if I can articulate this properly. It's been like the next level of corporate takeover, of corporatocracy mm-hmm. and corporate mindset. Mm-hmm. So I thought that the debt, like, and maybe I'm right about this, maybe I'm wrong, but the biggest corporate takeover of all time is the, is the corporate takeover of America. Mm-hmm. America now is, 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 you know, a wholly owned, wholly owned by the corporations whose interests it serves. But now, but, but that's still an abstract idea. It's an abstract idea. It's this like body, whatever America is. America d- doesn't, it's not a tangible thing, mm-hmm. right? But it's the system of governance has now been infiltrated by, by corporatocracy. But now it's like with Instagram and with Twitter and with the idea of social currency, being afforded to the everyday person, mm-hmm. it becomes the corporate takeover of the individual. <laughs> so now the individual now commodifies themselves yeah. and every aspect of their life yeah. in an effort to get more social currency. Yeah. And I see it with wrestlers a lot because I'm pretty private, even though I don't have the bag, my, my figurative bag anymore. Yeah. I, I do have a, a personal shield. I, I, I'm pretty private with my personal life. Fans don't know much about me mm-hmm. when it comes to that, you know, the, they can, they can infer a lot based on conversations mm-hmm. like this one that we're having right now about who I am or based on my tweets, but they don't know about my personal mm-hmm. life and they don't know everything about me. And I keep it that way by design. Yeah. Me but there's too. other wrestlers, obviously. I mean, the bag, the bag does well, the that bag for as you. well, but just there's certain things I'll speak about my childhood. I'll speak about my parents, but then other stuff outside of that, I just, I'm not talking about it. That's mine. And I'm entitled to that. So, same, same. And I think, I think you, 
I feel like, you know, I feel a connection with you on this level because I think you think those things are sacred. Yes. And you still think you still value these things. Mm -hmm. You still value privacy. And I think but it's other people and I do too. too. It's and other people. Like I, I, my, that's what freaks me out about um, influencers and things. It's like, that's your fame. But now your sister's in the photograph. Now your dog is in the photograph. It's like, yes. are you consenting with all these people about do they, to bring the, the, these people into the spectacle of your life? You know what I mean? I, I wish I could say, like, look, again, I said this earlier. I am reactionary. But then I've reached this level where after my initial reaction, which is usually like disgust or anger or whatever, or judgment, mm -hmm. I always sort of, I always got to go pause, go two steps deeper. What, you know, why, why? You got to ask, you don't just got to look at how people are behaving. You got to ask yourself, why are they behaving mm -hmm. this way? And when you start to look at why, and then you almost feel like sorrow or you feel compassion, compassion for, yeah. for, for, for people, you know, that's very important. Uh, and I think that's a big problem. <laughs> Once again, with our cultures, going back to that whole conversation is there's a big lack of a introspection, but B compassion. And, mm -hmm. and we're not, con we're not conditioned to ask why we never ask, why is somebody behaving this way? Never. We're not taught to look at people and even look at them as, as anything other than their, their behavior at that moment will completely, they're judged completely on their behavior mm -hmm. in that moment and nothing mm -hmm. else. And there's no further thought, mm -hmm. you know, and you take these very complex issues and I'm sorry, I'm ranting and I'm going in the wrong direction now, but you take these complex issues like crime and, and, and poverty, mm -hmm. or, you know, you see all these the, the riots going on and, and, and whatever, all these huge issues and people just take it at face value and they go, well, this is, yeah. this is bad. They're acting this way, but they don't, they don't ask why, you know, the conversation ends there when it comes to the, the, the public sphere. What I'd love to know, seems. Sammy, is like you're, you, you know, you're bringing words like love and compassion into your conversation there. H how much of your outlook on life and, and humanity is informed by Islam and what you grew up learning about with Islam? Well, uh, oh, that's a great question. Um, and this is something, uh, a revelation I had only in recent years, I want to say in the last couple of years of deep, deeper introspection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being brought up with religion the way it was in my household certainly warped me in some ways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, there's no question, I think. But, you know, every everything warps well, us. Me, I was brought, I'd be another, brought up with fucking Catholicism, like, so yeah. Yeah. So you, so you understand, and especially, yeah. uh, you know, Catholicism has that reputation mm -hmm. where it's just shrouded in, in guilt. Guilt and judgment. And guilt is, is, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, certainly Islam, I don't think is, well, maybe it is a little inherently judgmental. I guess any, any religion that says God is going to judge yeah. you inherently has judgment in it. But, um, you know, you can practice Islam in a somewhat non-judgmental way, mm -hmm. but certainly I was, I felt, I felt like judgment was a huge part of, uh, of it. Uh, and then only in recent years did I kind of start to realize like, wait a minute, this, this also, this colored my perspective in a lot of positive ways mm -hmm. too, uh, that I didn't make the connection with as being derivative of my Islamic upbringing until recently. Mm -hmm. So one, one example would be, um, fasting, when you fast for, for Ramadan, mm -hmm. when you fast at an age of like 12 or 13, at a time when all you want to do is play mm -hmm. and party and eat and, you know, have fun, it teaches you, it teaches you a lot of valuable lessons at a very young age, 
lessons that some people don't even learn in their whole life mm-hmm. about go, about going without and about sympathizing yeah. and empathizing with people that have to go without and what it's like to, uh, you know, just not everybody has, when you're really hungry, you're like, man, when is it five o'clock so I could eat? But then you think to yourself, man, some people don't get to eat at five. And is that so part of the s- lesson of Ramadan? Is that part of, of when you are fasting? Are, it, it, does Islam ask the person fasting to think about what it's like for someone who doesn't have the option of fasting? This is their existence. For sure. For yeah. sure. And I think these are the, these are the lessons that, you know, for, for Islam or for any of these religions that have gotten uh, the flack that they have. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, people say things like, oh, you know, religion is the cause of war. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree. I think religion is just, an, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tool. An excuse. It's an excuse like anything else. If it wasn't religion, it would be nationalism. Yeah. If it's not nationalism, it's, but look you know. People are fucking fighting over masks, about who wears a mask and who doesn't. It's polarizing. Right, right. Whatever you give humans it's, to polarize over, they'll polarize. And eventually someone's going to throw a stone. Exactly. So what I'm getting back to and using it almost like social media is that these are tools. These are tools and it's how you use them. And so if I, if I stop and think about, you know, and there's also a great deal of compassion that's taught in that lesson about fasting. um, And, and humility is a big thing, Mm -hmm. you know? So I was talking to a friend of mine once and he actually brought up the point because he was brought up Catholic too. And he's like, you know, when you're a kid and they tell you, say sorry to God and, God wants you to worship him and mm-hmm. pray to God five times a day and tell God that you love him and you're, and you're a kid. So you're, you're thinking is like, what's up with this God yeah. guy? <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit entitled God, isn't it? Yeah. Like he seems like he really wants a lot of credit all the time. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's up with that? You're, you're a kid. So this is what you're thinking. You're like, wait a minute. If I, if I apply these very same principles to a human, it seems arrogant or it seems yeah. whatever. But then but then the connection was made like, no, the lesson in that is that is humility actually. Mm-hmm. It's you're saying that you haven't done this all. There's there's a cosmic Okay. There's a there's 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 something that you need to be grateful yeah. towards. Yeah. Because it's not all you controlling this. And that ties and in like, with what oh. you're saying about collectivism. <laughs> when you're saying collectivism, it's about us recognizing, hold on a second, this is part of something greater than us. This is the collective the thing that allows you to eat your food in the morning, someone had to prepare that food. The thing that allows you to get into your car, someone had to make that car. It's all collective efforts and the individualism is the illusion. Yeah, yeah. And um, in, in addition to that, now that religion has kind of gone by the wayside in a cultural, cultural on a cultural level, mm-hmm. Or it's not so dominant in our cultures and certainly, you know, in Ireland or, or, can, or the States mm-hmm. like it used to be. Um, now, you'll hear a lot of people say things like, well, I'm very spiritual, but I don't subscribe to any religion. Mm-hmm. And what, the, what they're basically doing there is they're keeping the lesson that is taught from, uh, I mean, ideally, hopefully, mm-hmm. they're taking the lesson of saying, well, there's a greater cosmic force that surrounds not only my life, but all of us, and we're all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And even if you get into some real like hippy dippy stuff mm-hmm. about the universe and the whatever and the consciousness and consciousness we're, we're all one consciousness sharing, you know, individually experiencing a collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still saying the same thing yeah. that Islamic people are saying about God. You're just using different language and you're not using a human 
humanistic representation mm-hmm. because we tend to think of God as like a giant man in the sky. So we, we, we reflect ourselves. You know what I'm trying oh, to say here? Saying. I'm not sure I'm putting it in the right word. We give it a human quality, whereas now we're getting a bit more abstract mm-hmm. with like saying words like consciousness and interconnectivity. But essentially and it's God. Both, it's just God. You just, you, you want a, a different, a different vision God. of what, what you call it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think people just, you know, uh, in this day and age, uh, perhaps because of the rise of individualism, people also don't want to be tied down to the dogma no. uh, that surrounds the these religions, especially when individualism is so tempting and is so readily available, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but but um, but I do think individualism is slippery, is a slippery slope. For many reasons. And one that I absolutely uh, abhor, I just hate, I hate, and, and this is a narrative that pops up mm-hmm. in wrestling a lot, actually, to tie it back to wrestling about like, I, I did this. Like, <laughs> I, I earned this. Okay. I worked so hard and I got here. You know, like, come and, on. And it, man. It, you're not you talking know? about the people who helped the. You mean it, it, the selfishness of, of, of declaring an yeah. achievement as, as the sole thing of one person? Yes, because yeah. been, again, because this narrative permeates pro wrestling and it permeates uh, our culture, mm-hmm. which is like you work hard, you get something. And that's the end of that. Mm-hmm. That's the end of that. You work hard, you get something. And at no point anywhere in that conversation do we talk about the interdependency mm-hmm. and that about how crucial it was that you had good parenting, yeah. how crucial it was that, you know, you met the right person at the right time mm-hmm. who did something out of the goodness of their heart that allowed you to have the, the right break that got you to the next yeah. step, you know, or, or that you were lucky enough to be born healthy because or that you were lucky enough to, to be born with an aptitude for these skills that not everybody has. Because if you don't... So there's just so much luck. A rec- like what you're saying there, Sammy, if you don't recognize that, then that's how people are allowed to call other people losers. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, if we have mm-hmm. this individualism of I am where I am because I worked really, really, really hard and this is all me. Mm-hmm. And then you go, mm-hmm. well, what about this person over here who doesn't have much? Oh, they must be a yeah. loser. And now you're denying. Yeah, or they must be lazy, lazy or they didn't yeah. work hard enough. Instead of going, hold on um, a second, maybe what was their situation with their parents? What was their education? What was their economic situation? Exactly. What was exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's that's the why. And that's the why that we don't ask. Yeah. And that I think once again goes back to individualism, which I think um again, I don't know. I, I personally feel maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist, but I think that there are sinister motives behind keeping people thinking in that individualistic way because, because it serves corporatism. And that's just my opinion, but I think it's pretty, it's not, it's not much of a reach, you know, mm-hmm. they, they are, they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you convince people that everybody should be allowed to do this sort of stuff, and that nobody should be allowed to tell you what to do because you're an individual. And then, you know, they're like, yeah, that's how you get people cheer- cheerleading billion-dollar transnational yeah. corporations polluting polluting our water and polluting our air and destroying our planet because you wrap it up in the guise of, under the guise of individualistic freedom. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a real slippery slope. I think it's so important to recognize, uh, man, it, 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 what we're saying shouldn't be we shouldn't even have to say this, yeah. <laughs> but you gotta, you know, but you gotta recognize your, the, the amount of dumb luck yeah. of just dumb luck. 
like I said earlier, I could have been born in Syria. We wouldn't be having this yeah. conversation. I, you know, that might have been me and my kid floating face down in, in, the, in, the, in the Mediterranean, for all I know. The, the, difference between, the difference between that man, that refugee, mm -hmm. who now you're calling dirty and you're calling subhuman, mm -hmm. and the difference between me, who you're maybe have adoration for, the difference between him and me is, is my dad moved to Canada before yeah. I was even born, yeah. that might be the only difference. Yeah. Otherwise, it might have been me. And that's that's the thing that, you know, man, I'm going to go off on way the wrong no, subject here. But <laughs> I'm going to ask you, <laughs> you know one, one last question, Sammy. Um, yeah, just because a lot of people, were you banned from Saudi Arabia? I don't know. I don't know the specifics on this. Uh to this day, I didn't really ask, but I wasn't because I wasn't really keen on going anyway. But WWE did a thing, you know, a partnership sort of with or some sort signed some sort of deal to put on these shows in Saudi Arabia for uh, I don't know what ten years or something mm -hmm. like that. And uh, I just wasn't invited to go, okay. and I really never, I never really dug into it too much because I wasn't keen on going too much anyways yeah. to begin with. Um, but you know, I would like to discuss that for a moment because there is. There is a certain amount of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's very, it became very popular, very easy to say, well, you shouldn't go to this country mm -hmm. because they do these awful things. Mm -hmm. And I understand it and I agree. Mm -hmm. And you know, like if I was asked to perform in Israel, I wouldn't. Yeah. Right. Um, but but at the same time, I perform in the United States. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I, and oh I live in the United God. States. You know, yeah. so so I kind of have, there's that sort of dissonance yeah. that we kind of, to, to get your That's head around a, a little one, yeah. bit. Right? Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about all of that. Um, but it's like, man, it, it, th that's... Jesus Christ, man, I, 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 you know, I call for social justice while using the infrastructure of corporations that are destroying the world and corporate, you know what I mean? Like the, the software that I use. I know, I know. My it's, smartphones. Look, this, this, is, this is one of the biggest things that I personally deal with and I feel like I have a lot of weird personal guilt because I feel like I'm a part of the system that I criticize, right? Mm -hmm. And especially in the but days of the social media. You live in a fucking tree and, and say that Twitter is bad? Exactly, exactly. Like, and it's like... Actually, Sammy, wh just while we're on this topic, uh, so I covered this in my BBC series and there was a dude who I interviewed. It didn't make it into the final cut, but he was a guy who literally was like, I'm going to fucking live off grid. The world is too evil and there is no way for me mm -hmm. to be... He, he, was a, um, he wasn't a Buddhist, but he was into Buddhism. And he was like, I need to live a life of pure compassion and I cannot do this if... The clothes that I wear came from a sweat factory in Pakistan. I cannot do this if my food is not ethically produced. So he tried it mm -hmm. and he was arrested. He, he couldn't. He couldn't live that life. It meant wow. illegally occupy, occupying someone's land. It meant the police coming and breaking his shit right. down. It meant him ethically being unable to work and relying upon um, asking right. people for money. Right. And I interviewed him and it, 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 it wasn't possible. Because then right. I said, that's, that's incredible. I started quizzing him 
going, where did this light come from? Where did this come from? And he had an LED light. And I said, look, this this light came from China. What do you know about this light? And I, I was being nice and compassionate, but I, I was asking him about it. He, he couldn't. He could not do it. It was not possible for him to live without blood on his hands. Because I did the show was about slavery. And the right. central question I had at the start of the show was, how many slaves do we own? How many slaves do I own? How many slaves do you mm. own? Just for mm. us to exist in Western society. The an- the, yeah, man, that's some heavy shit. The answer is between 60 and 70. Oh my God. So just for you and I to, I mean, like our, our phones, you know, you're, you're on your phone right now doing this interview and there's a product in the phone called Coltan, which comes from what's right. artisanal mines. Artisan is what they call it. But mines in the Congo mm-hmm. where, you know, Apple or whoever are distanced from where the mines are, but there's kids getting their fucking hands chopped off. There's, it, it it's impossible. Yeah. Impossible to, for. It's, it's impossible. And this is my point because especially in the age of social media, there's a lot of what about is yeah. and there's a lot of purity tests, yeah. you know, and well, you say this, but you do that. Yeah. And it's like, fuck off, man. What do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, you know, know? Like, what can I do? Uh, what I'm trying the best I can. Does that not yeah. count for anything? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying here, man. I'm trying. I'm just doing the best I can. And, and Yes, yes, you want to live in a way that is most harmonious with your value system. And yes, that means questioning where a lot of this stuff comes from. This is why I, I, I stopped eating meat, mm-hmm. uh, you know, several years ago because I realized, well, shit, I can't just say that I care about animals mm-hmm. or I think animals are grand or whatever and then, and then be okay with the mass, this, this industrial level of mm-hmm. cruelty. I just can't do it. Um, and so I'm out because that's easy. I could control that. So that's me doing my mm-hmm. best. But, the, but, but you then know, someone says, do... what about the squirrel that was killed on the road to deliver your tofu? Right. You right. <laughs> or, you know, there's, there, you, you can, you cannot, you cannot break free entirely of no. exploitation. And I didn't, no. I didn't know that. I'm going to watch that episode of your show. Uh, for sure. That sounds very interesting yeah. to me because I think about it all the time because I'm constantly bombarded with this. Yeah. I'm constantly bombarded with, well, uh, you know, you, you say this, but you're also a part of this and this person does that and, and you know that person. Mm-hmm. And so what, what, what do you want me to do? I'm just trying to work within the framework because unless we abandon the framework altogether mm-hmm. and we try to go hermit like your man there, mm-hmm. unless we do that, you, you are beholden to these systems. Yeah. I, so, so like, for example, I pay tax to the U.S. government mm-hmm. who then takes my money and, bombs Syria. and they give it to, that's and right. And then you they have de- an, a, a service fund. to help the same people that you're technically bombing. Th- that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I, so what's the answer? Yeah. So what's the answer if I'm really adhering to this purity test? But the answer is, is my deep answer, systematic well, change, but like that's fucking huge. You, Right. But, 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 but what I'm saying is what's the answer on an individualist level? If I'm be, beholden to this purity test, um, you got it. I'm a hypocrite. Of, of zero I'm a hypocrite. Involvement. Well, I, I, if I got an unhypocrite, which I'm all for, I'm all for calling myself mm-hmm. out, but does that mean no longer wrestling ever again yeah. in the United States? No, no longer making a dime. Cause even if I move back to Canada, I make my money in the States, which means I have to pay tax to the American mm-hmm. government. So does that mean denouncing America altogether, never visiting America again. Or, you, what you know I would what I'm look saying? at it, you, you are someone, you, you, 
you're using your uh, position of privilege to do what you can within that. And that's how yes, I look at and it. That's, it's, and, that's, and that's how I look at it It's a trade. It well. You've, made, you've made a trade off. Same thing. You've traded off. You work in a big corporation. You earn money in the States. You pay the American taxpayer. But while you are there, you're doing what you can to dismantle that system. And you've made a trade off. You have put it very succinctly uh, in a way far better than I could. But yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I'm saying it's on us to do the best that we can. Mm -hmm. And I also think culturally, some very well-intentioned people are getting sucked into this, into this, into this type of conversation um, of like, well, you know, you, you're one of the most disgusting things. And I'm sorry, I don't want to, I don't know how long this podcast is going and I don't want to make this too long, but one of the most disgusting things I've seen recently is in the wake of the murder of George Floyd um, or Jacob Blake is them turning around and saying, well, you know, he was no angel. You know, he did these things. Yeah. And, and it's like, so does that mean, what does that mean exactly? Like, does that mean they deserve to die? Is it it the death penalty for a fake $20 bill? Is that what you're saying? He had a fake $20 bill, so that's the death penalty. And the amount of people that I saw swallowing this up and putting it out there and circulating mm-hmm. it and, and just saying, well, don't shed no tears for this guy. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, he committed a crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, we made up some rules and he didn't adhere to all of them, you but know? It's, and it's so the therefore collateral, it's the collateral damage shit. It's, it's when I'm yeah, critiquing yeah, Obama, when I'm critiquing Obama and I'm talking about Obama droning a wedding in Pakistan or in Syria because one of them might be in ISIS. You know what I mean? And then it's like, how many people died? But it's like, yeah, but one of them was in ISIS. And you don't know if that that kid could have grown up to be in ISIS too. You don't know. Right. And, you know, uh, what better way to create ISIS soldiers than by, you know, bombing 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 their their uncles and aunts. and Right, right. You know, but whatever. That's a whole other topic. Uh, The only reason I brought this up um, is because we need to, and another part of, uh, and when I say we, I mean all of us, but especially the people who have a platform and you're doing it all the time and I'm trying to do mm-hmm. it is re- reshaping the culture because that's one of the things that I think we have some influence over. We've been afforded this, this luxury somehow, some way through a lot of dumb luck and a little bit of tiny bit of hard work, which I wouldn't even call work cause I enjoyed mm-hmm. it so much, but um, we've, we've now been afforded this platform. And I think, I think one of the things that we can facilitate hopefully is, is some cultural change. Because as I said, all these problems are so deep rooted in culture. They're not, you know, they're not easy. They're not easy fixes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had this thought the other day, I had this, I know it's your trademark, but I had this hot, hot take <laughs> about, <laughs> about defunding the police mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, what if, what if you didn't take away their money or what if you didn't call for abolishing the system altogether, but what if instead you made it mandatory that they all had to, you know, there were sociology classes and economic classes Mm -hmm. and historical classes that they had to take surrounding crime and surrounding poverty so that they understood. That's one of the things, that's one of the things though, Sammy, like the the term defund the police, I think is such bad branding because when, Such bad branding. That's but, not even what they, not they, what they they're mean. They're not calling for abolition. What they're calling that's for right. is they're saying there is, when someone says defund the police, what they it's mean for, is that all the money is being put toward 
punitive, violent policing. So how Correct. about we take yes. a good chunk of this money away and instead we put it into social services? If someone has mental health issues on the street, that a cop with a gun isn't who shows up. Instead, someone who shows up with proper training who can deal with this compassionately. Because the, the American system of policing, it's militaristic and it, it it's because of the prison industrial complex. It The policing is designed right. to create criminals to create people who are in prisons because people earn money from prisons so I, i'd love it if they found a different term to defund the police because you hear it it's it's a terrible it's, term it's, I, I agree with you, you know, everything people, you just said is spot what on what people say is oh you want a lot you, okay so get rid of the police and then there's anarchy and it's like no just stop giving the police all that money and think of different complex ways to deal with the complex situation instead of just a hammer it's like dealing with everything with one what's, hammer what's the What's the end goal of what you're what you're saying, and and that is a cultural shift. The end goal, it is a, it is a shift. Of, of, it's a shift away is helping from a punitive rather than punishing people. That's right. It's 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 shifting the mindset away from punishment and 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 creating a more humane system. And the and and the we're not even calling. I mean, look, there's an argument to be made for ab- abolition. I don't think it's completely unreasonable. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not like. Police is uh, an inevitability. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's a. It's a very recent creation. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even. It was I'm created for the Irish. It was it. created for the Irish by the British. Is that yeah. right? John Peel. That's why some people call not John Peel. Yes, yeah, certain. No, Robert Peel. That's why some police are called Peelers. But literally, the first ever police force was created by the British for Dublin to control the Irish. Only like 150 years ago. And I tell you another well, thing: so the Irish are the only so, people who tried to invade Canada. Well, I love the in, Irish. In the eighteen seventies, <laughs> a group of one hundred and fifty Irish people right? tried to invade the Canadian border and didn't because there was only one hundred and fifty of them, and they were drunk. They were <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, all, all I'm trying to get at here, not to go off on a huge tangent, because because I can't believe me, I can't. But all I'm saying is, this whole thing of defunding the police, it's 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 just it's a. You're right. It's terrible branding. Mm-hmm. What people are calling for is 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 getting away from the mindset, the mindset. The mindset of militarization, the mindset of 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 of, of punishment, and and inhumanity, and gearing it towards tri- compassion and understanding, and just understanding, or, or via at the very least the attempt to understand, or the for the formality of making them going through classes where they have to attempt to understand what has created the circumstances for all mm-hmm. this. So what I'm talking about is a radical shift. Before you get to legislative uh, reform, you need cultural reform. And that's one of the things that's not discussed. Um, and I, I, I really think that's, that, that culture is at the root of all these things. But the only time that I do despair is when I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go out on my million with my 1 million Twitter followers and I'm going to put out a message of positivity and I'm going to change the culture. And I go and I do it. And then I look and I see like fucking Ben Shapiro or some (laughs) shit like that with his, with his 6 million followers or whatever he's got and his bajillion likes. And I'm like, Oh man, we're up against it. Aren't we? You know? And it's like, but the thing is, Sammy, that, that the others, it's easier to agree with Ben Shapiro and it's not easy to agree with the message that you're saying because it's 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 a complex message that asks us. If I'm to agree with Ben Shapiro, 
I get to be reactionary and angry. And reaction and anger right. are really fucking easy because I don't have to accept any personal responsibility. But if I'm to go with compassion, I, I have to... Compassion requires empathy and it requires self-reflection and it requires ownership and taking responsibility. And that shit is tough. But just getting fucking angry and going, it's their fault. That's easy as fuck. Really easy. It's the difference between getting a takeaway and cooking your own meal. Yeah, you know, you've got a real way with words there, blind boy, because that <laughs> that would have taken me about 30 minutes of rambling and raving before I finally before I finally hit the hammer on the head. But you just you perfectly encapsulate the idea. And and that's very much it. It takes work to it takes it's not even work. It's one just one step deeper than our immediate yes. visceral reactions. And that's what I God help us. That will really make the world a better place if we could just go people. And look, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm working on it all the time because I have those same reactions. But at least I've learned to stop and go, well, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Why are they act in that there way? There you go. Just that's it. One question, one word. Why? And then you start getting into, well, you know, there's these pressures and there's these constraints and there's these situations that people are dealing with. And it just makes you a more compassionate person. And it hopefully makes the world uh, a better person or a better place. I, you know? One thing that I, I, I've been, I've been learning that a lot recently because, because of quarantine, I'm not meeting a lot, a lot of humans, but right next door to me, my neighbors have this dog and the dog wakes me up every morning. He barks and barks and barks when he's on <laughs> his own. And I obviously feel angry because I'm being woken up. And one morning I found myself going onto Amazon to buy a thing that makes loud noises that trains dogs and then I said no why is he barking and then I started going sure the poor little dog is at home on his own those barks that are waking me up those are barks of loneliness and fear and all of a sudden I put the phone down and I'm not buying this thing to punish his ears I'm instead going I need to live with his barking because his barking is his pain and his fear and I need to start thinking that way and going, it's okay. I can I can lose an hour of sleep. It's okay. That poor dog is terrified. And it took a lot of effort. But if I didn't, now I'm a man who's just bought a weapon for hurting dogs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Man, that's a great story. That's a great story. I love that story. But it's the, uh, that's, 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 that's I, it. That's the uh, shit. You know? And, but you know what else, shit. man? I'm not now, I'm not annoyed with his barks anymore. They exist but I've been tuned out yeah. because I'm not angry with him. I, I accept, yeah. I accept and, 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 and the you know, pain and suffering of his barking. I accept it and it's okay. And what's amazing about this story, by the way, is that you were actually directly impacted by this dog's mm-hmm. barking. Even if it was in a very mild, it was a mild inconvenience. You were woken up maybe a little earlier yeah. than, than you would have. It's a mild inconvenience, but still it directly affected mm-hmm. you. Whereas a lot of these things that people are like calling for just the most insane kind of stuff yeah. are about issues that don't actually even affect their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Lock them all up. Ah. Throw, throw them across, send them all back to hell and whatever, bomb the whole country. And you see, you hear people say these crazy things and it doesn't even affect you. But do you know what else does, you know Sammy? Do you know what else does, Sammy? To, just to, 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 regarding when I, when I was processing my anger with the dog, and this is, the, this is to, 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 to reflect the point that you're making there about people being angry with things that don't affect them. When I was processing my anger and my fists were clenching and I was ready to order 
a tool to hurt his ears with noise. When I started to look at that anger, yes, I'm irritated by the dog, but all the dog did is he triggered a much deeper anger and a much deeper unfairness that wasn't related to the dog. It was the unfairness that I feel that I can't do gigs because of coronavirus. It's the un- I love traveling. It's the unfairness that I feel that I, I can't mm-hmm. go to Spain now for two weeks and write. And all these things in my mm-hmm. life that are unfair, that I'm angry about, but I don't live with that anger. It just all came out now and now it's a poor dog next door. And I should have been giving him... In terms of the irritation of his bark, he deserved a level two of anger. But all of a sudden, I'm, in my mind, I'm giving him a level eight. And he now has yeah. taken responsibility for the unfairness <clears throat> of the world. And only by analysing the anger and having compassion and saying his barks are barks of fear and loneliness, was I able to reveal to myself, ah, oh, look at all this shit you're really angry about, but you're not taking any ownership at all. You know, mm-hmm. and if well, I was a different I person, man, a if I was of... a different person, I could have taken it a step further. And now I'm someone who's who's physically hurting a dog. Or this is how dogs get poisoned, yeah. man. People poison fucking dogs. You know? Wow. They do that. And and, and it's it's the same yeah. process, but I'm I'm lucky enough to have had the self awareness to spot it and have empathy because I work on myself like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it takes a lot of emotional intelligence. That I think again, it's it's you have it. But I learned but it. That though, capaci- Sammy, that's the thing. You learned it exactly. I, I, it, it wasn't. You, we all on have my the journey. capacity I learned for it. it. I learned it, and I'm lucky. It, and I and the other thing, Sammy, I had fucking parents. I didn't grow up with a lot of money, but I grew up with a lot of love, and that stands same. to me. Stands to me, and that's why I I can go to that place. Someone who grew up with angry parents or living with abuse, it's a whole different journey for them to empathize with someone else's pain you know or, or an animal's pain so so i think and again this is why i think your podcast is important and i think again trying to foster this culture of emotional intelligence and reflection is so important because maybe that's one less dog poisoned yeah or that's one less weapon bought off amazon yeah. you know um <laughs> and just oh man i don't know it's like you know, I think I heard you say this on your podcast and it really, really connected with me because I'm a very, I think you said something like you're by default, a very happy person, mm-hmm. but it's external things make you unhappy. And I'm very much the same way. I'm like, my default setting is like an 8.5 or 9.5. I'm really just flying mm-hmm. high. <laughs> like, and there's no reason not to, I mean, I'm so lucky it's insane it is insane i can't even it's so hard to even explain how lucky i am the fact that i can everything when you think about everything i can breathe i can i can pee unimpeded you know that's that's a big fear of mine when you get older men have prostate issues and you can't even pee you shit your pants i i can i have control of my bowels Mm -hmm. i know that sounds ridiculous you can can breathe but i can walk i can breathe and you know what if you take even one my God, these things, there's so much to be grateful for. And when you're grateful, you're happy. And I think that's really, look, if I had two guiding principles that I think I I try to live by and that everybody should try to live by, and it's not perfect, but you try, it's gratitude, gratitude and compassion, gratitude and compassion. And I, I mean, 
there's just so much to be grateful for. And then when you have that gratitude, I feel like compassion is sort of um, a by a natural byproduct because you're like, oh my God, I'm so lucky. Oh man, those poor people mm -hmm. don't have what I have. That sucks for them. And it makes you simultaneously sorry for them, but not in like a patronizing or condescending way, but in an empathetic sort of way. And it also heightens your gratitude mm -hmm. and appreciation for what you have. And it's very hard to be a miserable bastard when those are the thoughts that are filling your head. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Although, you know, sometimes I guess you could feel sorry. I, I certainly do for all the, the suffering in the world. And that's, that's what brings me down is when I can't balance my compassion and my gratitude and compassion, sorrow overtakes compassion. Mm -hmm. And that's where I struggle is, is with the sorrow, with the state of things sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's something that I'm, I don't really know the answer to that one other than going back to what you said earlier, we just do our best. We do our best. For me you know? with that shit, what I do is, is, is you have to accept suffering exists. You have to accept that suffering is part of the tapestry of human existence. And you do, you look at what is within your, you have to look at what's inside your control because mm -hmm. to, to be, to be given excessive energy to something that is genuinely outside of your control that is impacting your mental health. And the thing is, if you allow things that are outside of your control to impact your mental health, then you're of no service to your community. So the positivity that you do, Sammy, when you're speaking on Twitter or when you're trying to change things or what you're doing in Syria, you, you, you can only act on those things because you're coming from a position of being driven to do it. But if you were to allow the pain of things that you can't control to impact your mental health, you won't be motivated to be to, to do the change that you can. Do you get me? Yeah, well, you know, but so so I, I ultimately think you're right. But I think um, I think anger and sorrow and and these things, if if you don't allow them to overtake you, I think they can be channeled into yeah. really beautiful things because because the thing in Syria was born out of out of sorrow and compassion, of course, but out of sorrow and out of this anger. And this horrible thing. And, Did and you look, have a sense of duty? Did you things. feel any duty? Um, I felt duty because I started to recognize that there was some change that I could surely affect. And I just didn't really know what that was because nothing will make you feel more powerless than a war overseas in a foreign country. I mean, how, you're talking about things that are within our control. If anything seems out of our control, that would be probably be top mm -hmm. of the list, you know? Um, but then recognizing that, wait a minute, I can do something. And then going back to the idea of collectivism, you know, people, a friend of mine gave me a lot of credit for this whole, like the Sammy for Syria thing in the mobile clinic. But I, when I thought about it more, it's like, yeah, it's real easy to think that way, but it's also the truth is it was a collective effort. The money that we raised was through collective. It wasn't just, I, I could have donated the money once by myself anonymously, and that would have been the end of it. And then I could have carried on going, oh, you know, well, I did my part. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, we are more powerful together. We are, there's more power. There is individual power and there is individual responsibility, but there's collective power and collective responsibility, which is so much greater. Mm -hmm. We are just, that's the nature. That's again, the nature of humanity. We're, we're better together. That's how we've worked. That's how we've thrived. That's how we survive. Um, so it was a collective effort. And, you know, I didn't do anything. All I did is I worked within a very individualistic framework because I put my name mm -hmm. on the thing. Exactly. 
right? I called it, I called it Sammy for Syria. And that's not because I want to toot my own horn. It's because I but know. It's, it's branding and attention. A, you're, you're operating within the system to go, here's my brand. Correct. Here's my brand. Now you'll pay attention. Right. Because the truth is most of the donors, the people who've donated, I mean, they have no personal uh, allegiance or a lot of times even awareness to the, the conflict in Syria. They have no awareness about it, but they know me and they like me. So they'll think, oh, Sammy's trying to do something. I like Sammy I, and this is a good thing. I'll help. Versus if I just called it like Syria A, yeah. people will be like, I don't, well, Syria's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So I used individualistic thinking, individualistic and framework and branding and corporatism and branding and marketing. And once again, these are all tools that I think circling back all around to pro wrestling here from the very <laughs> first question, how does pro wrestling inform our life or how does it, how is it a reflection of our life? I learned these tools, how to, how to manipulate these tools, how to recognize these tools through professional wrestling. Because I started to realize, you know, and, and maybe, I'm, maybe I've gone off the deep end a little here. <laughs> looks, but you understand I know what exactly I'm trying what you're to get at, Tammy. right? Like, I had to use the existing framework and I had to use the individualism and all that and branding and marketing and all these tools through wrestling that wrestling usually manipulates for, for you know, profit. To use them for social change. And was able to channel them. Yes, yes. Well, Sammy, that was two hours of a chat. Which is fucking loads. Oh shit! I'm no, sorry. No, no, man, sorry. that's perfect. I don't know if you're going to be able to use all of that. Of course, that. I will. It's a podcast. That's the beauty of a podcast. But look, that was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for it. Okay, and it was just amazing to. I was worried that I, 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 I'd have to ask a bunch of wrestling questions and not know enough about wrestling. But we had a lovely conversation just about about humanity and life. So thank you for that. And one thing I'll say to you too, I know it's fucking Corona, so. I won't be in America for a long time and you probably won't be in Ireland for a long time. But if we get the opportunity, I'd love to have a pint or a cup of tea with you if we ever uh, are, are in the same country. 100% man. Really, I, I feel like, and I told you this when I messaged you, but I, I feel like you're a real, you're a kindred spirit and I, I, I love what you're about. I think you're doing great work. I think it's important work. Uh, you're, you got away with words. You're very succinct. And if I ever started a podcast, <laughs> I don't think it would, I don't think it would have the clarity that you have. You have an amazing knack for clarity. Uh, and I really appreciate you having me on. I hope. What a lovely chap. What a lovely gentleman. Uh, that was a fantastic interview with Sammy. It was a pleasure to do it. And he's someone who just gives me hope. He gives me hope knowing that he's got this giant platform. He has a huge platform. He has this massive ability to reach wrestling fans, primarily male audience, and to reach them with a positive message of compassion. And that fills me with hope. And that was a pleasure. I'll talk to you next week. I'll be back with a hot take. All right. God bless. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 